Welcome back. Um, this is our fourth segment of our Disciplines of Discipleship series, and we're going to do double duty today. We're going to look at the Sabbath as well as study. And again, I just want to thank Pastors Andy and Sam for, for their reflections, because I think it's been a wonderful combination of, of scriptural and biblical reflections, but also layering onto those discussions, some reflections about how these disciplines have kind of shaped their own daily lives and some of their own decisions and so on. So I think that those personal insights are very powerful. So on behalf of all the listeners, I wanted to weigh in and, and thank them both for, the, for those contributions. Um, so I will turn to you, Sam, if you'd like to kick us off in prayer and, uh, and we will then get started. Happily. Uh, yeah, let's pray. Father God, we give you this time. Uh, we are thankful for the ability to set it aside now and, and talk about Sabbath. God, we pray that you would lead and guide our discussion, that scripture would be the light unto our path, and that uh, your Holy Spirit would be the inspiration for our words, that we would become greater disciples of your son, Christ. And so, Lord, as we engage um, with this topic of Sabbath, um, let it center on you and, and what you have not only taught Andy and I and we have experienced, but also, Lord, things that would encourage our listeners. Um, to find peace in their Sabbath as well. And so Lord, we pray all of this in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. 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 Thank you, Sam. Wonderful. Well, you know, I thought I would kick off by sharing with you both that, you know, as you know, we have a virtual home group and we made the decision that it would be very interesting to structure our decisions and reflections and prayers in cadence in parallel with um, the your sermons, Andy. And we did cover the Sabbath in a previous session, and we, we had a very um, lively discussion. And, you know, I think what we all, where we all landed at the conclusion of the discussion is that there's both the letter and the spirit of the law, right? And, and kind of navigating or, or balancing those two dimensions, um, I think is, is critically important. And as you both have commented in previous segments, this notion of moving from the head to the heart and somehow ensuring that that bridging um, is actually speaking to us as we make our uh, as we make our efforts to kind of um, invite the spiritual disciplines into our daily lives. So I wanted to kick off with we were at one point talking about kind of does the Sabbath represent uh, symbolically or practically uh, kind of this notion of proof of a particular loyalty to God. So what that implies, right, is, is our um, um, kind of acceptance and integration of that important day into our routine and that the Sabbath has, you know, a, it is strictly adhered to, and there are, um, we are doing our best to ensure that how we spend that day is very much reverential and very much in line with our, our biblical understanding of the purpose of the Sabbath. And then others said, well, you know, is, must it be on Sunday? Could it be on another day? You know, is there, you know, and are we, are we in dangerous territory kind of fudging the, the parameters of, mm -hmm. of God's expectation? So we had a really interesting discussion as I would capture between kind of the letter and the spirit and I wonder if you could both comment on that because um, we had, as I said, a very interesting discussion. We actually um, sourced different passages of the Bible that one would imply, yes, a, a kind of, I wouldn't say rigid, but, but an adherence to 
um, kind of the, the letter of the law and other passages which seem to suggest, particularly from the standpoint of Jesus' engagement, that, you know, it one can do things on the Sabbath, right? It depends on what is going on and what those decisions are. So again, that's a long-winded explanation, but it was a fascinating discussion. Sam, you're you're nodding your head vigorously. Do you want to want to start? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know how how big this topic is to me. I think Tabby to respond to this balance or this tension, right? The the letter or the spirit of the law. I think we need to understand where Sabbath comes from. We know it's in um in the New Testament, Jesus talks about it. You have all these, you know, the famous story where they're picking heads of grain on the Sabbath, right? Mm-hmm. Uh with Jesus. But we need to understand where Sabbath starts. You know, Leviticus says a number of times in the scriptures that we are to be holy as God is holy, mm. right? And then and Peter also quotes this in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 1. And so what we need to understand, of course, is the meaning of this word holy, which many of us know to, un, to or understand to be set apart, something that is different. Mm-hmm. Um, but also we need to understand the first time that it's used in scripture. Um, this is one of the things I always think about when I think about Sabbath. Uh, the first time the word holy is used in scripture is in Genesis chapter two. Mm. And it's when it's describing God resting in Genesis two. I actually set this aside because I knew we were going to be talking about this. Genesis two verse two says by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. And on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Verse three, then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And so when we think about Sabbath, one of the things I first think about is actually not accomplishing something, mm-hmm. but resting. Mm-hmm. Because the first thing that scripture tells us was holy was nothing. It was a day of rest. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't achieving. It wasn't. And this is the, the whole balance of achieving and being in the letter of the law, spirit of the law. And so, yes, of course, there's arguments to be made on which day of the week and what we can and cannot do. But And we can talk about those as we go down this road. But for me, that's that first thing that was resonating and bouncing around in my brain was let's, let's all understand a baseline definition of Sabbath here. Mm -hmm. And the first thing in all of God's scriptures that we have that is holy chronologically Mm -hmm. is a day of rest. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so for me, that tension can really be softened or it can kind of go away and gives us a lot of freedom to live in that Sabbath when we realize that the Holy Sabbath or to be set apart is rest from striving. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so for me, that's sort of where I start understanding this, this difference. What do you think, Andy? Yeah, that's great stuff. Um, I never thought of that, that, that that's the first holy holiness comment and that it's, it's a ceasing rather than a doing uh, that's magnificent. It, m- it makes you remember that what we think of as holidays are days when we're not doing our normal work, right? Mm-hmm. Days that we get off from our normal work and the Lord right. took the first holiday, right? right. Uh, and and the implication is that we have a holiday built into every week. Um, I come from a Presbyterian tradition that's informed by the, the Puritan tradition, you know, and their big thing is like the Sabbath day, like six days a week, you go to the market and you do your business. The seventh day of the week, your soul goes to market. Sabbath is the market day of the soul, right? And it's, it's this idea that far from, um, from being like a, uh, the kind of law that insists that you accomplish something, it's an insistence on feasting, right? It's an insistence on 
um, enjoyment, rejuvenation, um, something that allows you to spring into the next week wholeheartedly and with rest in your body and bones as well. So yeah, I really embrace that that um, notion that holiness is not just in our doing, but in our in our being, and that's modeled by God as well. Mm-hmm. One thing um, with this spirit and the letter thing, you know, like um, in a way, this is the this is the same discussion you have whenever we talk about like the trellis and the vine that grows on it, right? The um, the structure and then the content, right? Um, we have the the structural bones of our apartment, but then we have the furnishings that make it a home, right? And I think something similar is at play here where it feels constrictive and artificial and structural at first to talk about like set apart this day, you know, but then when you have inhabited that day, like you've inhabited a new apartment and made it home, all of a sudden you're not thinking now about the structure that is enforced, but rather about the, the atmosphere of the home. Um, there's a Bible teacher, Tim Mackey, that talks about when he visited Jerusalem one time and he was there on Friday, which was the day of the day of preparation, even, even heading into Jesus's crucifixion. They talk about Friday as being good Friday as being the day of preparation. Right. And it's still there 2000 years later. Um, the Jews in, in Jerusalem are running around like crazy on Friday afternoon, like getting everything ready. And it looks like they're manic, right? Um, but what they're trying to do is beat the sun down and get everything that's necessary out of the way so that then they can go into their homes and light their Sabbath candle and have their Sabbath evening meal and and inhabit that day with joy and rest. It really is um, when it's practiced like that, um, a day of rest and gladness, as the hymn says. It's like when we read the New Testament, it, Jesus is pushing a, pushing back against like pharisaical uh, ways of doing Sabbath, right? The you must and you must not kind of version of Sabbath. But when you actually read the accounts of contemporary Jews or Christians that practice Sabbath in a, in a spiritual way, the accounts that you hear about are I'm so glad I get this one day out of seven to really throw it out of gear and feel rest deep in my bones. And it's, it's more of a feast keeping than it is a, um, a, a, a wagging finger telling you what you should and shouldn't do. No, that's yeah, cool. I would add just one thing, Tabby, to that, that, you know, of course there's, there's things we can, can't, should, shouldn't do. We could talk about that in a minute. Cause I think that's important. What Andy's getting at there with the pharisaical mindset but I also want to add, you mentioned specifically, does it have to be on Sunday? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, even thinking about Sabbath with those restrictions can be difficult sometimes because if that's the case, then Andy and I are toast, right? <laughs> you know, we, we never get a day of, if it has to be Sunday, we never get a day of rest. And so allowing, as we approach this discipline, as we have with all the disciplines, right? Allowing a certain measure of grace for ourselves within our constraints of life. Mm-hmm. Um, is really, really important, not just with Sabbath, but with all things. Because as I said, you know, I, I joke about this sometimes, you know, pastors only work one day a week, right? And if that's our, our day of rest, then then what do we do um, on Sundays? And so we need to understand that there is freedom in these things. Um, and even though there are some constraints and we follow the biblical model and the Christ, you know, Christ's model he sets for us, that um, of course there are circumstantial things 
that we have to wrestle with um, for our own lives to be able to do this. Because if we if we approach it too sternly to say this is what it has to be, then we may not be able to practice it to its full extent, which we can talk about, right? As right, Andy mentioned, exactly. so. Exactly. No, and I wonder, I mean, it, it came up in our discussion as well, because it is the fourth commandment, right? So I think that that kind of, that indicated to some, right, that there is really a, a sense of, of formality and dignity that we have to contribute to this, um, which is very interesting, because you both mentioned two things to supplement that, that I think are very interesting, right, is one, a day of celebration, because I don't know that many people kind of associate the Sabbath with celebration. Um, and I think the other point building on your comment, Sam, is that what's I think very interesting when we kind of turn down the dial on doing and we turn up the dial of being, there's a certain vividness that enters our lives, right? We're paying attention to things that we normally don't pay attention to, or because they're not perceived as relevant to whatever we're, you know, whatever's on our agenda, we simply aren't paying attention, right? So I think that that notion of attention and where it goes and how it lives and how it kind of settles is really interesting, right? Because I think for many of us, the notion of no agenda and that sense of, of being, right, is kind of a frightening prospect. Mm -hmm. But I do think for those moments, and it's kind of that aha we all kind of grapple with, right? When we're suddenly on vacation, we think, my word, I didn't realize how tired I was. I didn't realize it because we're constantly kind of on that treadmill. And I was just wondering if you could both elaborate, maybe on that dimension of celebration, because I don't know that that is often in many people's minds an association. And secondly, kind of the the notion of vividness and, and maybe just, you know, reflecting on how you both kind of find yourself spending the Sabbath. And if, if there are any experiences or perspectives on that, you know, any, any of your own rituals around that, that would, I think be really interesting. Yeah. Great question. So I started entering into Sabbath, maybe, uh, 2004, 2005. And, um, I was in graduate school and for me it was wonderful because this was the one day of week of the week where I could justify reading something that wasn't on my syllabus right and so I remember we had this tiny little apartment and one little one little room that had a heater it was in South Carolina so it was it was cold in the winter but it wasn't um, cold enough year round to justify central heating. So you just had one little heater centrally located, close all the doors. I would sit by that heater and read anything that I wanted to. And the only rule was that it could not advance my graduate studies. <laughs> and that was so liberating to me. And, and that was, that experience was bookended by morning worship and then evening worship. Our evening worship um, ended after the service with a, a dinner at the church every week. And so we got to be around the table and have fellowship with people that we had just worshiped with all day. And those were some of the craziest years of my life, intellectually, spiritually, relationally. And yet in the midst of all that turbulence, vocationally, I was trying to figure out what to do with my life. In the midst of all that, I, I had this rhythm of a day that I could look forward to, um, a day that I could share with, with Ellie where we just did not have any agenda except for to sing, praise, hear the word, 
loaf around our, our little apartment, uh, read whatever we wanted to. And I think that that principle has really kind of kept up with us up to the present. Um, I would say that currently, while we are like currently the, the, the thing that we have to be vigilant about is not so much work, but screens staying off of screens. We have, uh, we've kind of interpreted the Sabbath as six days, you shall look at your screens, but on the seventh, you shall rest from, from all screening. And um, my children hate that so much. And kind of Ellie and I hate it too, in a way, but we just lock our screens in the closet and we say, uh, anything we experience today is going to be analog. Thank you very much. Right. And, uh, I wish that we could, we could have a little bit more intentional spirituality in our, in our Sabbath practice today. Uh, because I'm a pastor, our Sabbath, uh, the only day that we're all at, you know, off of work or school is Saturday. And so that's our Sabbath. And so it's not punctuated in the same way by worship, um, corporate worship. And that's, I kind of miss that, I think. And it makes the day feel like a little bit like what Peterson said, a bastard uh, Sabbath, a day off (laughs) rather than a real Sabbath, but we're trying to get there. And, um, but, but for the last, what has that been like um, 17 years or something like that? We've sensed that we're never going back to not having a Sabbath. <laughs> so, well, yeah. Really yeah, my my experience is actually quite similar. Um, I would fiddle with it. I mean, I remember the first time it really happened was probably in college. And, and I went to a Bible college in the U.S. and or Christian college, I guess. And um, I had people who just sort of said, take a day off, you know, you don't have to study on Sundays, et cetera. And really it was just a way to feed my laziness, right? That I could just wear sweatpants all day on Sunday. Um, but but I think when it really came alive was when I was also studying when I was in seminary as well. And, um, you know, we often think of the Sabbath, like the Pharisees, like Andy mentioned, you know, it's a day of can'ts. Like, what can't I do today? I can't do this. I can't do that. I shouldn't do that. Um, but really, that's not what it's about. So, I would recommend this um, to everyone because my understanding of Sabbath really just sort of exploded um, like a desert after the rain when I read this book uh, by a guy named Abraham Heschel. And he's a 20th century Jewish rabbi and scholar. And um, it's just called Sabbath. And his name's Abraham Heschel. And if you find it, read it. It's phenomenal. But one of the things he said in that book was six days a week, we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth. And on the Sabbath, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. The world has our hands, but our soul belongs to someone else. Mm. And for me, my understanding of Sabbath went from just not working to like Mm. Andy was talking about to feasting, Mm. right? Six days a week, I'm constantly trying to cultivate the soil of my job and my marriage and, and my study and all of these things. And, but what I realized was Sabbath was not about taking just taking a break but then also cultivating the things i enjoy Mm. there's a feasting element here and so honestly for me andy mentioned screens for me it's gonna sound it's a little selfish but what my day looks like what our day looks like when i'm on a sabbath is it's doing things i enjoy Mm. right it is i i wake up a little bit early and um, my son doesn't have preschool that day and so i i like cooking foods i like so i wake up early and make homemade pancakes you know, and we have pancakes together and get syrup all over our hands with my two and a half year old son because it's fun. <laughs> you know, I usually make pizza for dinner on, on, on the nights of my Sabbath because it's just something I enjoy and it's good. And, and, and when I think about these things, 
these are the things that actually engage my soul in the blessings God has given me. So it's community, it's family, it's enjoying nature, it's cooking. It's, it's not, we don't do Sabbath to make life better per se. The act of Sabbath doesn't necessarily make our life better. What I would say is the act of Sabbath makes our life even better. That we engage in the blessings God has given us and the things that really, really we enjoy. Um, and I believe that is, is holiness because that's not something that the world necessarily does or cherishes, mm. right? And, and, and in a way, being set apart for me is to look at the things God has given me and celebrate and feast and, and, and enjoy those things. And to me, that is a really essential part personally to practicing Sabbath and being set apart, like we're talking about. Mm. Yeah, I love your examples, right? Because they're about the bringing intention to attention, right? Um, I mean, there is something about cooking, right? There's something about, you know, the, the rituals of, of bringing things together and acknowledging that time and the process that it takes and the time that it takes to create that. And it's interesting because I was, um, thinking Sam in particular as you were speaking I, I love language I love words and I have a dear friend who lives in Southeast Asia and apparently there's this wonderful wor word pisan zapra which means the time needed to take to eat a banana right and I just love that right I mean the notion that we could bring consciousness to how long we take to eat something right I mean so to me there is this element of also profound appreciation and celebration in creating space and time around mundane tasks. Because during the week that might be, oh my word, I've got to get food, I've got to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's we kind of punctuate our day with all of our to-dos. But to cook without that sense of urgency, but the sheer joy, right, of, of bringing, it's a little bit of what you've said, Andy, before about the hospitality of a meal and creating that hospitality in real time, I think is, is really powerful. So thank you both, because I, I truly don't mm. think many of us, I don't want to speak for anyone, but I, I often think celebration may be way down on that list. <laughs> um, and I think an acknowledgement of that, and that I love that line from Herschel about, you know, our soul belongs to God, there's a, you know, and, and that is a really kind of a sobering and very moving affirmation. And I think it puts everything else in perspective. Um, so thank you both for that. Very, yeah, very enriching and so on. Well, should we segue into study? I, I don't think it feels too awkward. I think there's some elements that you both brought up that kind of allow us to finesse that, that slide. But I think, Sam, you mentioned you might have some ideas to kick us off. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so this was a thought I had about Sabbath that really flowed into study for me as I was thinking about things I wanted to share about my own life and thinking about my process with these. And one of those things is that we have really lost a sense of sacredness when we talk about Sabbath and taking a day off. There's a sacred element, and that's kind of what I was getting at, right, to doing the things you enjoy and finding rest and, that, and, and pursuing holiness, being set apart. Um, but what we've done is we've sort of made our day off normal, right, like Andy talked about, where we just get things done because it's just another day. We just don't happen to have the same constraints. And Study for me has also become one of those things that we often do, especially in the Protestant tradition, um, that has become sort of normal or rote in the way, you know, that we have lost this idea of the, the, the sacredness or the holy 
elements to study. And this, when we think about study, of course, there's, you know, you could take a Bible course and learn all about the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Great. But when we really talk about study as a discipline of discipleship, one of the things we're talking about is engaging with the Holy Spirit and the living word in a way that transforms, right? Andy mentioned this in his sermon about kind of seeing all of the world through this lens. And that is why we study and drink these things in. Um, because study is a gift the same way the Sabbath is a gift, that God is giving us this ability to do these things. And so for me, when I began to think about study, that was sort of the, the segue that went from Sabbath to study was to say, wow, holiness and pursuing God is, is a, a sacred thing. It is something where God comes and meets us and, and, and walks with us, just like we're talking about apprenticing ourselves to Jesus. And that study is not just something where we're accumulating knowledge or learning things to have them but we're also engaging in these practices of what it looks like to be set apart. And so for me, study is, is an equally sacred thing mm. um, as Sabbath or any other of these disciplines we're talking about silence and solitude. And that for me personally, that's been a huge development in my understanding of studying scripture, um, which is a much longer story and I can get to down the road, but that was sort of some of the ways I was thinking about scripture or studying, especially as we talk about studying scripture, studying the person of God and thinking about some of the things Andy shared in his sermon this last week. Yeah, well, that's very, that's very helpful. Andy, do you want to build on that? Um... Sure. I think, I think the main thing that, that hits home for me when I think about the discipline of study is almost ironically um, I want people to do the opposite of what pastors are tempted to do. And that is to use the Bible and to use theology and Christian literature as fodder for getting our work done. Right. Like, unfortunately the occupational hazard of a pastor is that the Bible and Christian literature will become kind of our, our textbook and it becomes the um, it becomes it becomes this the we, we strip mine the Bible of its resources and try to make it into something that can uh, that we can feed our families with and earn our living with and impress people with right that is that is almost built into our vocation that that we will have to resist that approach to the Bible but a real Christian lay, like I'm a Christian first, I'm a pastor later, right? Um, but the real Christian discipline of study uh, is more like what we might call like meditation. You, you open the word of God, you ask God to speak into your life with it. Um, you ask for the spirit to apply it to your, to your heart and life. You, you ask for uh, for the Bible, like a sword to kind of cut through the little parts between your different motivations and intentions and to kind of see you for who you really are. And then to speak into those uh, deep places of your being. Uh, so that maybe the way to think of it is we study so that the word of God can study us, right? It's almost like we're opening ourselves like a book to God's spirit and that God's word then is getting to work on us. Obviously, like when I get up in the pulpit, that's what I hope will happen to the people that hear, right? But my production mentality as a 
professional Christian is so often the opposite. I mine the resources and then I produce my sermon with it. But as a, as a Christian, what I'm trying to do in the discipline of study, and I'm making some progress lately with this and it feels really great. Yeah. Is to allow the scriptures to kind of study me. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And it takes a certain spiritual temperament, discipline, um, openness, vulnerability before God to allow that to happen. But when it does happen, um, you can walk away from that study saying really kind of feels like I just met with the God of the universe and it was kind of spooky and kind of amazing. Right. Um, Tim Keller says that, that um, his, his idea of meditation is that you, you read a passage of scripture and you read it slowly and you read it over again until your heart sings, mm -hmm. he says. Don't leave the passage until your heart sings. When your heart sings, almost like thinking of like the reverberation at a certain frequency between, uh, between two things. Once your heart sings, you know that you've had that connection with the spirit of God. God has studied you and you've studied his heart. And now you're ready to, to live your day. Uh, in step with and in tune with the spirit of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Andy, I really appreciate the, the strip mining analogy because one of the things, and this is going to sound really odd coming from a pastor. And so don't mishear me, anyone who listens to this. One of the downsides of the reformation was that, or the positive was that it put scripture in everyone's hands, but the downside was that it put scripture in everyone's hands. And what I mean by that is it made it normal. It became standard. And especially in sort of this evangelical Protestant world we live in now the last hundred years of saying, okay, well, what does it mean? Right. And we're stopping at the head. We talk constantly talking about this head heart balance and what you're saying about strip mining scripture is just leaving it in the head. Mm -hmm. But to use that Keller example of, of letting it resonate in our heart remembers the Hebrews verse of the, the word of God is living and active, right? Hebrews 4.12. And so to know that it's living and active is to look at it, to read it, to study it, but then to let it resonate, to read it slowly, to do these things as Andy's talking about. So it's singing from our heart because one of the things that I've experienced in my own life, both personally and as a pastor, is that for many people, they struggle to engage with their study as the spirit is leading and guiding them in a living and active way. And it's stopping there at that strip mining element. Let's strip it apart. Let's get, get what we need. Let's store it in our head and then let's go. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, everything you've, you've both said is incredibly powerful to me. I mean, I, I think the other comment I just throw out is that um, I recall, and I don't, re I could, don't recall the source, but I, I was really resonated with a comment is that we might do ourselves a service if we read the Bible more like poetry, right? In other words, we allow the language to evoke and to grow and to live and to move, right? And I do think, and again, it's it's that funny notion of kind of definitionally, right? I think the connotations for many of study is academic, right? I mean, it's I'm trying to gay, I'm trying to move down a path to a defined destination, right? And so, you know, I think we, you know, as humans, we are very hungry for metrics. We, we really need the feedback. We want the feedback. Am I on the right path, the wrong path, and so on. And staying with the mystery, right? Allowing that mystery to emerge and evoke and act as almost a catalyst, right? Um, that kind of catalytic reaction, right? 
um, is not necessarily on our terms. And I think there's a real appetite to say, you know what, I, I, this is my assignment, this is what I'm going to do, and so on. So kind of releasing that mentality. And I, I thought to myself, Annie, when I heard your sermon last, um, on Sunday, right, about acquiring the flashcards and learning German and so on. Um, my mother was a Japanese linguist, and I remember once coming home from school, and I said, oh, you know, I met this little girl, and she said that, you know, she speaks nine languages, and, and I said, wow, and, and, and my mother looked at me very sternly, she said, the only language you truly speak is the language you get angry in, <laughs> right, <laughs> and really, suddenly, right, and I think to some extent, there's kind of a funny parallel with, you know, we can learn the flashcards, we can learn how to conjugate the subjunctive, but the expression of emotion right? Well, other mm. language is an entirely different um, kind of challenge and opportunity. And, and somehow, for some reason, that kind of metaphor struck me as, as kind of an essence of part of what we're talking about here is, is kind of the, that sense of when our hearts and our souls become engaged, as opposed to simply our minds doing that inventory in those to-dos. I don't know if either of you had any... I love that. I love that. Um, so maybe the, the exhortation here is you're going to get angry. So get angry in the language of the Psalms, for example, right? Amen. <laughs> like it, you're going to, you're going to feel um, betrayed, yeah. feel betrayed with the language of the Psalter. Um, the, the Psalms have all the human emotions and they have the conversation between the human soul and the spirit of God going on in them. And there's 150 of them. So if you don't like one, go to the next one um, until you find one that resonates, right? Um, yeah. Uh, can I give a quick little um, illustration that that occurs to me with, with respect to this? Like, are we using the Bible when we study or are, or are we opening ourselves to the Bible? One of my favorite films is Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. He's stuck in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. And um, he lives every day over and over and over again because he's a jerk and the universe is forcing him to be less of a jerk, right? And at first he hates that he has to keep doing this. And then he realizes, oh, I can study the attractive women around me and I can learn everything about their preferences, likes, and interests so that I can seduce them. And then I can spend every day learning more and more until I can seduce these women that I'm interested in. So he is using the study of these women in order to seduce them, right? And then he gives up on that after getting slapped in the face uh, dozens and dozens of times and realizes that he's going to use, this is the resolution of the, of the film, right? He's, he, he's going to use what he's learning about humans and their needs and desires and passions uh, to actually be a service to them, right? And so the, the film kind of ends with, with him uh, just being a big-hearted, generous human being who knows all the people in this stupid little village in Pennsylvania and is able to love and serve them throughout this one day of their lives. Um, I think that's there's a, an interesting parallel here with the way that we're supposed to study the heart of God in Scripture. Don't study to um, to be able to corner God or trick God into like, hey, I read the Bible, so you owe me a happy day um, or a happy life. Um, but rather, read the Bible and read your Christian literature and set apart time to do that so that, um, so that you can actually know the heart of God and in a, in a great measure, know the hearts and needs of the broken people that are around you. 
and learn the language of the spirit so that you can speak to and, and love them in a, a spiritual instead of a merely fleshly way, like the New Testament might say. Yeah, um, that's great, Andy, because <laughs> why we're doing these things is a very important thing, right? And it, it means so much. I have a, a great, well, to me, it's great story about that I could share before we're done. But for me to study has sort of become a sacred thing, right? When we talk about studying, and this is what I mentioned with the connection to Sabbath, is there's a sacred element, there's a holy element, there is a, Tabby, I think you used the word, the mystery of scripture, right? And, um, you know, actually in the Orthodox tradition, you know, in the Protestant tradition, we have two sacraments. We have uh, baptism and communion that we practice together and everything. But in the Orthodox tradition, which we were all Orthodox, the church was all Orthodox, you know, um, in tradition until for the first thousand years or so, um, study was a sacrament where they believed that Jesus actually met them in their study of scripture. And um, one of those writers, I don't remember who I was looking for it and couldn't find it, but he basically said something along the lines of, you know, scripture is like water before we know Jesus. But when we know Jesus and believe in Jesus, it becomes like the wine Jesus changed at the wedding that it turns from water into wine and it becomes this rich, deep, great thing that everyone can enjoy. It's a place where Jesus meets us. And so in a way, study is, is, is this idea of exactly this, the, the topic of this sermon series. It is discipleship to Jesus. It is a practice of knowing God, knowing God's heart through studying the scripture, studying the Psalter, studying the teachings of Christ, studying the apostles, um, learning discipleship to Jesus. Because our desire to study, our imagination, our curiosity, all of these things where we probe into the scriptures are good things. These things come from God, right? Our desire to know and to understand and to see God um, come from our the image of God inside all of us. But we need to understand that this studying scripture is not the same as we study a history textbook. It's not the same as we study um, other things. It's not the same as we study our professional things. It's, it is a, a sacred thing. Um, and that's what makes this a discipline of discipleship that Jesus, there's mm -hmm. something, there's some mystery about how the spirit and Jesus are interacting when we go to the scriptures, uh, which is why I think it's so good. As Andy says, if you're going to get mad, get mad, like the Psalms, there's plenty of anger in the Psalms, right? If you're going to be forlorn, that, that's a great place to go. If you're in love and you're in love with a, 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 another human being and go to the song of Solomon, right? Engage in scripture with our lives. And, and we do that through study. Uh, and, and, and there's this, there is a mystery to it, but it is something that is just so beautiful and rich and deep, um, that I think Jesus really wants us to explore. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you think I could, I could give one more little illustration, um, that this gets at like the sacred nature that Sam is talking about. Um, I visited the, the Bodleian library at the university of Ox Oxford, one of the oldest intact libraries we have. And, um, you take the tour to the sort of original parts of the library and they show you the books that are chained to the wall, right? And throughout the library, there's all these little signs that say, you know, at any point a librarian could walk up to you and ask for the oath, the library oath, which is, you know, I will not kindle any fires in the library and I will not um, remove any material from the library. Apparently one of the, the kings during the, uh, the period of the, the English Civil War, maybe one of the Charleses, maybe, um, was wanting uh, to 
have some books in his private residence while he was staying in Oxford. And the librarian said, absolutely not. And he said, well, I'm the king of England. Come on. And he said, absolutely not. But here's what we will do. Because you're the king of England, we will, we will create a study carol, a little desk with a little screen. And you can have your own private little booth in the library where we can supervise you, where you won't steal our stuff. And yeah, you can go in there as often as you'd like um, by appointment and study, right? And maybe there's a cool way of thinking about the privilege of engaging with God as this is our little time to go into that little sacred space, into that little cubby where we can, with the book chained to the wall, so to speak, um, we can we can say, um, I'm here to do something that I'm deeply privileged to do as the child of God. You can think about that um, redemptive historically. You can think about that just in terms of the history of publishing. We don't have access to this opportunity until relatively recently. Um, and so we're prone to take it for granted as if we were the king of England. Hey, give me my books. Let me have some books. No, this is special, right? But yeah, I think there's a discipline with all these things to, to set apart the time and the head space and the soul space to say, I anticipate that something sacred and profound will happen here. Mm -hmm. In the same way that as a pastor, you hope that your congregation comes in before the sermon, anticipating that they might hear from God, that makes your task as a preacher a lot, a lot less cumbersome, right? Um, you want to enter into the discipline of study with an anticipation that you'll meet with God there and something sacred will happen that will change your life. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And again, you know, there is something got a lot of thoughts, right? Just that notion of kind of stripping away and coming to a kind of a clean and, and uncluttered space, both physically and in our minds and so forth. And I was mentioning to someone this morning, it was quite funny. I joined something called the Cloud Appreciation Society, which is an organization in the UK. And I read this very compelling article by a scientist who started this. And he said, the reason why I'm starting this is we don't look up at the sky any longer. And I feel this is a vital um, opportunity for us to experience a sense of awe. And since I joined this, I get my little book and I'm constantly looking up at the sky because you kind of inventory the clouds. And if you should see a cloud that's not in your little guidebook, you get in touch with them and they may reissue the guidebook with your cloud. But there's yeah, something about that word appreciation, right? And, and it's to me that it was just a very kind of powerful article about looking at God's creation and what we are in, ignoring if we choose to assess that it's no longer relevant, right? So we may be looking at our phones while we're walking down the sidewalk or et cetera. And I just really love the notion that we need to ensure, and I think this is part of the, the disciplines, is you know we need to ensure that we kind of take on ownership over those triggers, right? And we observe our own behavior. And the other thing I wanted to just share with you both, which again was triggered by your comments, your um, your comments in the sermon. And because one of the things I notice, right, is that this notion of empathy, right, that sense of compassion, that sense of a heart connection. And I read ages ago that the Rotterdam Zoo um, in the gorilla house, right, you know, people would parade through and they thought, you know, they're, they're going to going through this house too quickly. 
they need to really truly understand. So they, one of the zoologists created glasses that you can wear when you come in that will show you how the gorillas see the world. And people were just, they were staying for hours. And I thought, isn't that fascinating? Because we've now created a bridge, a different way of seeing. And when we are given a different way of seeing, we have a different way of, of living and being, a pro, you know, it kind of, it goes into our heart. So that sense of, oh my word, this is how they see the world. And again, these are just metaphors or analogies, but I think it's kind of a powerful thing to think about is how can we open ourselves up to and give God room to move in, right? Um, and I think that's what I'm hearing in a lot of your comments about study. It's not from us to God, it's opening up and receiving that yes. gift um, in, in a state of, of readiness and anticipation and gratitude, um, frankly. Um, so I just wanted to share that with you and how interesting, right? When we truly see the world through someone else's eyes, and in the case of, of the disciplines, looking through um, Christ's eyes and, and living a Christ-like life, right? I think it means our heart has to be moved in that, in that direction. Yeah, there's a there's a um, there's a, a another way that Sabbath and study are gathered together here that that we're kind of circling around, and that is just this attention and the noticing and the tasting the food instead of just shoving it in and getting the calories, right? Um, the hymn I wrote from the, to bring it back to the letter of the law and, and its spirit, the hymn I wrote on the first table of the, the Ten Commandments has the line, um, sing the name of none but Jesus on your tongue, its sweetness taste, taste and savor all its goodness, not a honeyed morsel waste, right? And what I'm trying to get at there is that that these are commands, right? Like stop, rest, feast, study, show yourself a worker that's approved with nothing to be ashamed. I mean, these are exhortations from the Bible, but the, the result is that we would go from, as Jonathan Edwards says, from knowing intellectually that honey is sweet to taking it on our tongue and experiencing the sweetness of it. And in both Sabbath and study, this is what we're aiming to do. Ellie does a little more than 50% of the cooking in our family. And her chief complaint is not our bad manners at the table, which are inevitable with four males, uh, but that we wolf down the food without even tasting it. <laughs> and, and the Sabbath is the day where there's nothing to run off to. So you can actually taste the flavor of the food and the our study is meant to be similar, right? It's not something to get through, but something to taste and savor. Yeah, Andy. Tabby, you were getting at this as well. And Andy, you mentioned it earlier with talking about when we're studying, we're supposed to open up and allow scripture to sort of evaluate us and that we have to be aware of these things. Um, you know, for some, what study will do, or, or maybe a good way to think about it is we can look at our study habits and see why we're doing it as well. Are we willing to be self-evaluative and to see, um, are we willing to see why we're doing it? So for me, one of the things I realized was um, for years, what I was doing was studying to gather information. And the reason was, is because of how I came into church. I wanted to share this story because I think it's somewhat funny, but also very indicative of what many of our experiences are, is that I grew up actually not going to church. 
so I didn't know all the Bible studies. I didn't know the, the sequence of Bible books. I would, you know, always have to use my table of contents at Sunday school when we started going to church. And, and I felt like I was the only one. And in fact, we would do these things. Some of you may have done um, in Sunday school growing up called sword drills, where you have to, the teacher would give you a scripture and then you have to go through and find it. And whoever got it first got a prize, got a little piece of candy or something. Well, I started going to church at 10, 11, 12 years old in, in Sunday school and in youth group and had no idea where anything was. And so here I am feeling, quite honestly, my first experiences in church were feeling like I was behind. I didn't have the necessary adequate knowledge to be part of the club, right? And so it's really odd as I've been able to look back and think for years, the way I engaged study was to catch up. How do I become part of the club? How do I get enough to be an insider in church? And so what study became for me was sort of a hoarding information or owning information. I was trying to study scripture to put it in my backpack and have it with me so that I could show people I was, I was part of the club, right? Yeah. Oh, I have that one memorized. Or, oh yeah, that's, I know where that is, whatever it is, which is not the heart of study or the heart of God for that matter. Right, Because when we talk about discipling to Jesus or did these disciplines of discipleship, what we're talking about is studying and learning what I think is, at least for me, for two reasons. One is to understand the heart of God and the heart of Christ through the scriptures. But then two is so that we would share the things we have found with others. Right, So instead of gathering these things and putting them in a backpack and keeping them with us for us to feel good about ourselves, for me, where study has really come alive is not to teach from a top-down authoritative, but to, to almost instead of putting it in my backpack, but to hold it open with open palms and to show people, look at what I have found. Look at what I've seen. Look at what I have, as Andy is saying, look at what I've tasted, this honey. Look how sweet it is. And then with our very lives, we're showing these things to people. And it can be such a blessing because for me, it was so helpful to look back and see, wow, I'm studying to hoard information, to keep it, to hold it for me, because I feel like I'm not part of the club, or I want to be an insider, or I want to know as much as other people. But all of those things we know are not the motives of God, they're motives of, of the human heart. And so study can also become this thing where we not only experience joy and giving and sharing with others, but we also are able to understand more about ourselves and our own desires. And it can lead us then more to the heart of God, <clears throat> excuse me. And so I think also as, as we engage in study, it is like many of the other disciplines, it's important to look at why we're doing it and what our goal might be in it. Because if our goal is to attain or to better ourselves, oftentimes that comes from something that may not be from God. And so to be very aware of that, that even study, and maybe Andy will really resonate with this because as pastors, it is so tempting to just study all the time. But I think oftentimes we realize if, if you're anything like me, oh, wow, I might be doing this for myself. Mm. And that's a danger. Yeah, it's very interesting. Andy, do you have any closing remarks before we close the session? I guess I just encourage everybody to... Um, to study for the taste, taste your food. <laughs> Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God um, and the, the spiritual food for the soul is flavorful, zesty, tasty, sweet, diverse. 
and meant to be really enjoyable. Better is one day in God's courts than a thousand elsewhere. So why not take just a few moments each day and as a miniature Sabbath and just let um, a little portion of scripture that happens to be speaking to you at that time uh, feed you a little bit and also uh, pleasure your taste buds. Oh, absolutely. Andy, would you like to close us in prayer? I'd be glad to. Thank you. Uh, gracious God, thank you that uh, you have created us to experience you, Father, Son, and Spirit, and have made other image bearers that uh, we also get to fellowship with and commune with. Thank you for Jesus, who is your truest and best and most delicious word to us, most nourishing word to us. Thank you for the way that you commune with us around the table in the Lord's Supper. Thank you for the fellowship and hospitality we get to experience as believers with one another, how we long for those days when we can do it in person again. Uh, but we pray that um, through Sabbath and through study, that you would give us a taste of your sweet delights, that we would know that um, you're a good chef and that you prepare delicious um, multi-course meals for us and that over our lifetime we get to be on a journey of of learning to savor all of your goodness in all of its uh, diversity in the scriptures and beyond and we pray that as we um, feast upon you through rest and through study that little crumbs uh, would fall along our trail and that others would also by that trail of crumbs be led to the source of both nourishment and delight that is the Lord Jesus Christ and all of his goodness. Thanks for Tabby and for Sam and for their journeys and the way that they've intersected mine. And thank you for our dear listeners at IPC and beyond. And we pray that you would bless each of us this day and all our days in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you very much to both of you. Very inspiring. Lots of things to think about. And, uh, building up for our next session next week. But thank you very much. It was really a, a lot of wonderful, delicious food for thought. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tabby. Thanks, Sam. That's right. Thanks, Tabby. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Andy.